It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Although a number of Alaska's fisheries have collapsed or are otherwise under threat, some of the people most deeply involved in fishing advocacy believe that recovery is not just possible, but necessary to the well-being of our communities and our planet. KCAW in Sitka recently held a one-hour forum on the future of fishing, and the three panelists all found reasons to be hopeful that continued research, traditional knowledge, and historical perspective will all play a role in charting a path to the future. KCAW's Robert Wolf reports. Harvey Kitka is a lifelong Sitkin whose father was a commercial saner around the time of statehood when fishermen were paid by the fish rather than by the pound. His grandfather saned prior to the arrival of hydraulics and pulled the weighted webbing by hand. As an indigenous Alaskan, Kitka has one foot in a millennia-old subsistence tradition, but both eyes on the future. He's uniquely positioned to bring deep perspective to policy decisions, and he's been no stranger to the testimony table at the State Board of Fisheries. He is an advocate for rebuilding southeast herring stocks. I think one of the first satellites that took pictures of the Earth at one time took a picture of Baranoff Island, and it just happened to be a time when the herring were spawning. And it was really shocking to look at that picture and see that all around the whole island was white with herring spawn. And now it's just Sitka Sound, basically. I mean, I would say the future of fishing depends on a fair measure of humility, really. Linda Benkin is the executive director of the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association. She's been on both sides of the policy table, having served nine years on the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council. We all fall prey to thinking it all started when we first arrived, and that becomes our baseline. And I'm not just talking about herring, but that I think that happens in a lot of a lot of arenas. And so, if you start managing a commercial fishery, and this is the abundance, and you know, as you said, we're looking at the fourth highest. That seems huge, right? Because it's the fourth highest. But if you have Harvey's perspective, and you have seen what herring stocks might have been back before the herring reduction plants. They were a really different baseline. Benkin draws parallels between Sitka Sound herring and the crisis in far western Alaska. Only five years ago, the region's commercial fisheries appeared robust. The rapid change demonstrates just how short a five-year window is. I'm thinking a lot about what's going on right now in the Bering Sea with crab, with salmon, where we've seen these huge population crashes and what that's meant for the people who depend on those resources, whether they are the subsistence people of the Yukon or the commercial crab fleet that's just lost everything, Um, that, yeah, the system's changing. But there was a, a long time of people, depending on those resources, watching things change with glacial kind of timing of receding and advancing and, you know, but adapting. And now we're... I think managing as if we're in this little time slot. We're not thinking enough about the past and not thinking enough about the future and what the what the changes might be bringing. Heather Bauscher chairs the Sitka Fish and Game Advisory Committee and has become a recognized face at both the Board of Fish and North Pacific Fisheries Management Council. Bauscher represents a younger generation of Alaskans equally concerned with community sustainability and the fisheries. 
The future that Benkin and Kitka are talking about is her future. We're not in the position that they are in out west, but if we can't get a handle on some of these threats to the resource, like we very much might be in a position like that down the road. Bauscher believes it's possible to bring a new level of data to the policy table, something more than graphs and charts that go no farther back than statehood. Scientists tend to rely on things they can count, but so much of the observable world is full of information that's been impossible to quantify. Bauscher is helping spread the word about an app called Skipper Science, originally developed by the Aleut community of St. Paul Island, that exponentially expands data collection in Alaska's fisheries. So each year we've done this, all these observations get standardized and become part of this report that we can hand off. And we've finally successfully proven to um, the different agencies that fishermen are capable of collecting this data and upload, and it becomes part of a data set that NOAA is going to be using to do full ecosystem analysis of the Gulf of Alaska, which is also pushing management towards uh, ecosystem-based analysis and giving local fishermen um, a direct hand in. When everyone who fishes has the ability to contribute information to fisheries research, Alaska's policymakers will have a far broader perspective to draw on than they do now, and perhaps more courage to act for long-term benefits. This will be a full-circle moment for Harvey Kitka, who has never needed an app to understand the natural world and how best to manage it. The only thing that man controls is what we take. And if we don't keep track of what's happening in the natural cycle and try to adjust ourselves to it, we'll be hurting ourselves in the long run. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Wind power may be the best option to add extra oomph to Sitka's electric grid, based on research collected as part of an investigation into Sitka's long-term energy needs. Amy Saluna and Molly Greer are engineers with Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. They presented their findings to the Assembly on December 13th. The study was funded with a federal grant the city scored from the United States Department of Energy. Sitka was one of a handful of communities nationwide selected to participate in the ETIP program. That stands for Energy Transitions Initiative Partnership, which seeks to help remote and island communities increase their energy resilience. Saluna said that of all the options, wind, solar, tidal, and geothermal, wind is expensive, but long-term it's cost-effective and would bring the biggest bang for the city's buck. The wind resource is the strongest resource that there is available, is what we found. Um, there were several locations that we assessed throughout this project, and Beaver Lake and Lucky Chance are the locations that are shown here to be the most favorable as far as wind production goes. Saluna said it could take around four years for the city to set up a wind project, which could generate up to 24 megawatts of power. She said solar energy would be quicker to set up, but the payoff is more limited, since it would be most useful in the summer months on large south-facing rooftops. She also said there was potential to source wind and tidal energy, which would prove more useful than solar energy in the winter months, but would be smaller scale than a wind power project. There's also geothermal energy from Goddard Hot Springs, which was last investigated as a potential energy source in the 1980s. 
then it was a very preliminary investigation, and what was found is that it looked promising, but really additional detailed investigation is needed to characterize the resource, to understand what the capacity is, and if it's really feasible. Um, what that detailed assessment means is drilling a well to understand what the, the heat flow is <coughs> below the surface. So why look into this when Sitka is still paying off a multi-million dollar hydroelectric dam project? The city is expecting more electric customers to jump onto the grid in the next five to ten years. With the construction of the new hospital on the search campus and continued migration toward electric cars, the city would need to rely on diesel generation to supplement the energy from the dam more often, or find an alternative energy source. The full ETIP report will be published in January. You can view Salon presentation slides on our website at kcaw.org. After some record-breaking cold temperatures in southeast Alaska, snow is in the forecast for later this week, but it won't last long. As temperatures continue to climb, much of the panhandle is in for a wet Christmas. KRBD's Eric Stone reports. It's been a cold start to the week here in southeast Alaska. Low temperatures in the teens and single digits broke daily records across the panhandle, from Haines to Sitka to Ketchikan, Metlakatla, and Prince of Wales Island. But the cold is expected to let up soon, says lead meteorologist Brian Besnick with the National Weather Service in Juneau. The high pressure on the Yukon, which has been bringing in all the cold air, uh, is sort of retreating right now, and we have a weather front that it will be sweeping in uh, out of the southwest. Uh, for out of the Pacific, and that will be moving in Wednesday night, Thursday, uh, into Friday uh, across the panhandle. That front is expected to bring some heavy snow to the southern panhandle. Six to eight inches are expected in Ketchikan starting Thursday afternoon. The central and northern panhandle are expected to see snow Friday into Saturday. But if you're dreaming of a white Christmas, you might be out of luck. Biznick says a wet Christmas is more likely as snow turns to rain in the southern panhandle on Saturday. Got the temperatures warming up probably into the uh, upper 30s to low 40s uh, by the time you get to Christmas Day. So we might try and melt off all your new beautiful snow uh, before then, but uh, we'll probably have uh, precipitation around during Christmas Day. He says forecasters are expecting snow to turn to rain a little later over the central panhandle, and northern panhandle communities might see continued snowfall even with rising temperatures. Snowy weather always has potential to disrupt flights, but Juneau International Airport manager Patty Watto says her crews are ready. We're ramped up for winter season as far as what we do on the runway and what the airlines do for coming in and out and, you know, just prepared in case there are some delayed flights or some cancellations. But at this point, we're just in operational mode for winter. Officials at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport said expected snowy and cold conditions in Seattle caused some airlines to preemptively cancel flights on Tuesday. A flight tracking site FlightAware showed hundreds of cancellations and delays at SeaTac on Tuesday, which could complicate Christmas travel to and from southeast Alaska and the lower 48. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.